Well, it's been a really interesting week here uh, around New Life as we've just seen God at work freeing people. Um, I have I got phone messages this week and and uh, voicemails and emails and um, we've uh, a lot of people started getting free at the at the altars last week and then I heard through the grapevine that some that cool stuff is happening as people are going to each other and confessing sin and dealing with hurt from the past and all kinds of cool things and we've had people stopping by the office um, saying I need to I need to talk to somebody and I get pulled into those those meetings and, and people are telling me what they're being freed of and, and confessing. It's been very, very cool, just an amazing week. And uh, my prayer is that that continues to take place, that we become the community that God wants us to be. And we become a community filled with forgiven and free people. Um, it's just an amazing thing to see God at work when we let him work. You know, he's, he's quite the gentleman in that he steps in when we give him permission to do so. Um, just as a quick review of last week, as we continue this uh, message on healing stream, living in the reality of God's life-changing power, I want to remind you of the truth that we went over last week, which is that God wants you to live forgiven and free. And is the key word, forgiven and free. As Christians, we came to, if you remember what we talked about, we came to Christ and we gave our lives to Christ in a very general way. But then we continue to often struggle with the sins of the past. We can, it becomes the sin of the present. We continue to, to struggle with the hurt and abuse and situations of our past. We're just not sure what to do with them. And so we aren't really free. And we have to come to the place where we allow God to free us from hiding, hiding in fear, we talked about why we hide in fear. The first reason we hide in fear was denial, that we just kind of, this isn't really, you know, it's not really important, it's not really that big a deal, I'll just kind of keep going the way I am going. We hide because of shame. We just feel a level of shame in our lives that God doesn't want us to feel, doesn't want us to live in shame. We don't serve a God of shame, but a God of forgiveness and a God of freedom. We hide because of judgment, the judgment that we suspect others will kind of pronounce upon us. That somehow we would go to someone and, and share something that is deep within us and they would declare us a freak and back off. We hide because of self-centeredness, that we just kind of want to do it on our own. We, we become the army of one that can do it all on our own. And unfortunately, I've never seen that work. That when we become self-centered and try to deal with with issues and sin and hurt on our own, we become more and more inward and it just builds and builds and builds. And we hide in fear because of past hurt. Where we've been hurt by someone in the past when we've tried to be open, we've tried to be real with them, and they've either rejected us or they've told another person. And so we hide in fear because of past hurt. And yet, in spite of all that, we talked about two steps we need to take in being forgiven and free. The first is to take a fearless and searching moral inventory of our lives. A fearless and searching moral inventory of, of starting to listen to, to God speak to us and tell us those area of our, areas of our lives where we're still in bondage, where we're still bogged down by sin or by our past that affects us in the present. 
And I hope many of you this week continued that time and as God was speaking to you and continuing on enlisting that moral inventory. So we take that moral inventory and then second, we admit the exact nature of those sins and hurts and attitudes and wrongs to God, to ourselves and to another person. And we start to move into community when we apply James 5.16 to confess our sins to one another so that we might be healed. Because the prayers of righteous men and women are powerful and effective. And I hope that this week, God is continuing to work in our lives like He seems to be in so many, becoming forgiven and free. Now we must live fully in that truth by living in the second truth, which is that God wants us to live in real community, a community of trust and confession and prayer. He wants us to live in real community. And only in real community, I believe, can we live lives that are completely forgiven and free. That it takes place best in the context of real biblical community. We were built for community. Remember, we looked at Genesis 2.18 that we often kind of interpret as about Adam and Eve. But in reality, there is a depth to the statement that God makes in Genesis 2.18 when he says it's not good that man is alone. You know, because of the brokenness of our past, we need input from people who are growing toward health and becoming more like Jesus. It isn't good that we do this Christian walk alone. It's just not good for us. Romans 12.5 that I want us to look at today says, So in Christ... We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We who are many form one body, and each of us belongs to all the others. Real community is about realizing the importance of being there for one another. Of realizing that we are interconnected that the success of one of us is the success of all of us, and that the failure of one of us is the failure of all of us. I believe there are some things we can experience in real community, and so if you haven't yet, you can take your notes out. And through some of your help, I gave you a little more to work with this week. Last week was a bunch of lines. This week I've given you a bunch of numbers. Okay? So we're going to quickly go through a list of what I believe are 11 things that can be accomplished in real community? What can take place as we who are people forgiven and being freed up can take place in real community? The first is that we break our isolation. We break our isolation. Lone Rangers are extremely bad role models. They don't know how to trust. They're afraid of exposure. Remember that the Lone Ranger wore a mask. Let's just all remember that. They live in the illusion that they can do life on their own. They're preoccupied with their own control. And so they live in isolation. They guard their old wounds. The fact is that we were created to live in freedom. 
God created us to be free. And when we're not doing so, we are not completely living. And we know it. And we feel it. We aren't to live in isolation. Second, we gain a sense of belonging in real community. We break our isolation and we gain a sense of belonging. And that belonging comes because we depend on others and are being depended upon by others. You know, it's interesting when, when uh, I don't know if this happens to Pastor Steve or, or Jay or any of the others who speak, but it happens to me that after I preach, God spends the entire next week trying to make sure that what I said I actually believe. And so this last week has been a real challenge of whether I really believe in community and whether I really believe in confession, whether I really believe in battling sin in our lives. And I'll tell you what was the, the, the greatest point of help for me this past week was when God said, you need to be there, you need to be strong for your guys. Remember last week I told you five stories of men that I know who are seeking to live in real community. And God said, you've got to be strong for your guys. And I believe that's true for all of us. That in community, we get a sense of belonging, where we are strong for one another. Because reality tells us that we're not all going to be strong at the same time. And when I can be strong for you, or you can be strong for me, then real community develops and we develop a sense of belonging third we're guarded against the assaults of the devil in real community we're guarded against the assaults of the devil there is protection in real community there is another set of spiritual eyes that watch out for us and watch for the enemy's attacks in our lives when we're in real community number four we're supported and we're nurtured now, I know, guys, nurture is not a word you want me using. But men, you, you like nurturing and need it more than you think you do. That's why we love our moms. And in real community, we experience support and nurture. We're cared for, we're loved, and we're matured by those who rejoice in our growth. And that can only take place in real community. Number five, in real community, we receive and give the gifts of the Spirit. The rest of Romans 12 and other passages that the Apostle Paul wrote on, this, on spiritual gifts tell us that the spiritual gifts God gives us are to be used within the context of the church, within the context of the body of Christ, to build up and encourage the body. Just logically, you have to realize that the spiritual gifts cannot be used if we're isolated and if we're alone and if we're just all about us. You see, the gift of teaching is rather useless if I do it in a mirror. I mean, what am I, am I going to amen myself? Am I, you know, what, 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 I'm going to learn a lot from me? It doesn't work. The gift of encouragement, what, am I supposed to go patting myself on the back? Oh, wait, we do that, don't we? The spiritual gifts are to be used within the context of the group, of the church, of the body. Christian, you're not 
completely a part of the body until you use your gifts within the body. If you're not using your gifts, the entire body suffers. Romans 12:5. We all form one body, and each of us belongs to the other. And if you're not using your gifts within the body, the body suffers. And more importantly, it misses out on what you uniquely bring to the body. And you say, well, my gift isn't really that important. What I do isn't. That is not what Scripture tells you. That is not the con- from the context of what the Bible says about spiritual gifts. They're to work together and work side by side and for each other. And if you don't use your spiritual gifts, if you don't step into a situation where your spiritual gifts are being played out in your life, then we're missing out on the uniqueness of your gifts to the body. Number six, in real community, we become accountable. In real community, we become accountable. Our actions and our attitudes are kept in check through the filter of Scripture and biblical principles, not through the filter of my list of preferences or your list of preferences. You know, over the years, we've kind of taken a hit on not giving lists of do's and don'ts. Well, you need to look like this. Or you need to act like this. Well, we'll do that if it's in Scripture and if it's biblical. But I don't want to give you my list because that's just a list of my, how I was raised or my preferences or what I happen to think. But within real community, we become accountable to Scripture and to biblical principles. Number seven, we have role models and relationships within real community. We have role models and relationships. We all, like a good dressmaker needs a pattern, we all need a pattern to follow. Christ said, I'm sorry, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Hey, I haven't got it all together, but if you'll walk this direction, I'm going in the right direction. We need a pattern. Two years ago, my wife Terry and I, as well as Patty and Paul Trayson, sensed the need to help young couples have a pattern and not to put ourselves up on a pedestal, but we started a group for young couples married less than five years without children. And we were amazed at the impact that that has had in lives of couples being able to have a pattern of couples, uh, from couples who have been married for a longer period of time to encourage and build them up. We have role models and relationships within community. Number eight. In community, Jesus' command to love one another becomes practical. Only in community can Jesus' command to love one another become practical. The reality is that until we know one another and serve one another, then it's all really theory, isn't it? It's all, all, well, I believe the Bible says we're to love one another. Well, but in the context of community, it actually is played out. It becomes practical. The rubber hits the road when we've got to really love one another. You know, the old saying goes, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. Is true within the church. Number nine, in the context of real community, the presence of Jesus is manifested in our midst. In real community, the presence of Jesus is manifested in our midst. We become Jesus with skin on to the people in our worlds. 
And Jesus becomes real. Not only within the church, but with our neighbors and in, the, and in our jobs, Jesus becomes real. The uh, musical writer Stephen Sondheim, years ago, wrote a Broadway song that had this line in it. Children are watching. And within the song, he tells the story that we can tell children what to believe and where to go and what to do, but they're watching. And what they'll really learn from is what they see. Yeah, children are watching, and so are all the others around you. They're watching to see Jesus. Because they want to know who Jesus is and what he looks like, and you are it. The people at your work, the people at your school, the people that you live near, the people within this church need to see Jesus in you and me. Number 10, within real community, others are introduced to Jesus in a real and compelling way. In real community, others are introduced to Jesus in a real and compelling way. I believe that this is the very best form of evangelism, of taking the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Because it's all about what's real. And I believe that the the vast majority of those outside these walls today who are in no church today, who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the vast majority of them truly want to figure out a way to live in real community. They want to know what it means to have real friends who really care about them. They want to know what it means to have a real relationship with a God who loves them. And in real community, as we build community here in this place, as we become people who confess our sins to one another and are healed, who pray for one another, who lift each other up, who spur each other on in our spiritual walks, then we become a compelling picture of what Christians are. Because frankly, the the picture that most people have of Christianity is not compelling in the least. And I believe it's because we just don't know what it means to live in community. So what we do is we look outside the walls and we become judgmental and we start becoming screeching, loud, obnoxious voices that cry out against things instead of shout out for something. And then they look at our lives and see the headlines about every Christian leader who blows it because they weren't living in real community and they weren't free. But within the context of real community, people are introduced to Jesus in a compelling, real way. And then number 11, in real community, we're relieved, we can breathe a sigh of relief, everybody just breathe, of exclusive responsibility for each other. Because it's, a t- it's team, it's community. We are relieved of exclusive responsibility for each other. None of us have what it takes to be everything to another person, do we? We just don't, you know, we, we have our weaknesses too. So if, if, if I'm solely responsible for another believer 
becoming like Christ, they're going to have the same gaps I do by the time it's all over. And so within the context of community, we minister to one another and we build and grow from each other's strengths. So there are amazing things that happen within the context of real community. But let me point out to you two dangers. And some of you have already thought about this. And the dangers that you, you say, oh, they're, da- uh-uh, this is why this doesn't work. This is why it's dangerous. And the w- things you're thinking are true. But let me give you two, two dangers. The first is that we can idealize community. There's a danger in idealizing community where we insist that it become the true New Testament church in all its fullness. And we idealize it, and we get a picture in our head of what the New Testament community was, and we want that today in 21st century Western culture. And it just doesn't play out that way. Unless we're all going to move in and form kind of a small community that shares everything, and where we gather together on a daily basis, and everyone sells everything, and then gives it to the elders of the church, and then the elders disperse it as we feel necessary then we're not going to fulfill the full context of the New Testament community. Let me remind you that within that same community, at least one time, someone came in to the body and said, yeah, we've sold everything, here's the money for it, but they were lying and they, were, they dropped dead right there. So you better, we better get real careful on whether we really want New Testament community. But we idealize it and we think, well, this isn't New Testament community. So what we have within Christian circles today is little groups of people that are all getting together, 20 to 30 people sometimes, and they're trying to create New Testament community because they idealize it. And so they, they discipline one another's children and they, they live together and they, they do all these things to get, you know. We can't idealize it to the place that we start kind of not really experiencing community because we're overanalyzing it and expecting too much. Maybe we idealize it by wanting what we missed in our own family. And so we expect people within the body to fill roles that maybe our, our mom or our dad didn't. And we idealize it to the place that everybody disappoints it. We use it to meet our needs and get our way by putting people around us under the law. And I call it the law of oughts and shoulds. You ought to be doing this for me. You should be doing this for me. You should be filling this need for me. You ought to take care of this situation in my life. When we idealize community to the place where it's full of oughts and shoulds, we're always going to be disappointed because people disappoint us. I disappoint myself. I'm sure I disappoint other people. We'll never be everything that we should for one another. We just will not. We'll fail regularly. But it's about progress, not perfection. It's about having a desire to become real community and to live in the context of real biblical community. It's about attempting to be biblical and Christ-like. And we may not always achieve that goal. So there's a danger when we idealize community. And second, there's a danger when we become addicted to community. You know, when we kind of feel like, if you're real Christians, you should always be there for me. You ought to meet my every need. You ought to make me the center of the group and minister to me every week. And we become addicted to it. And we, we, we can't stand maybe a week goes by when somebody doesn't meet some need we have. And they may, they're very legitimate needs. 
But we become addicted when we start depending upon the people around us to do that. In effect, what we're really saying when we become addicted to community is, you should replace my dependency on Jesus and let me become dependent on you. We can never take the place of Jesus in people's lives. We have to be careful that our gatherings and our communications are all about Jesus and not about us or even about the enemy that we get caught up in sometimes. We have to point one another to Jesus. It's not all about us. Like the first song we sang this morning, it's not about us. It's about Him. It can be easy to get into community and start feeling strange because who am I without my issues? Because we've become so accustomed to them in our lives, we're not really sure who we are without our issues and without our baggage and our bag of rocks that we've carried around. And as we start getting rid of this stuff, we wonder who we are. Let me remind you who you are. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is all about making us new. And we really will all be better as we are grown, matured, and as we change and become more like Christ. We need people. We need people to minister into our lives. We need people around us whose deepest desire is to become like Jesus. And as long as we are sensitive to idealizing community and becoming addicted to community, we can really live in a way that fulfills what Christ's great desire for his people is. What kind of people do you hang around? You say, well, what kind of things should I do? What kind of people should I hang around? Who should I look for? What's supposed to be happening in community? Well, I think first you should look for grace-filled people. Hang out with grace-filled people. Look for those who ask God for broken people into their lives and who welcome them into their life. Because only when we're broken are we grace-filled. You see, if the Bible says that we're vessels we're like pots but first god has to crack us and let us flow out so that he can pour himself in dave early used to say we're nothing really but a bunch of cracked pots we want to be around people who welcome god's mercy and power into their life where god begins to heal our damaged emotions where we accept broken people, where we give up our agendas and we worship only Jesus over everything else. Hang out with grace-filled people. Second, hang out with true worshipers. Hang out with true worshipers. And I don't just mean people who like the music. I mean people who have renounced their idols. And an idol is nothing more than anything we put in the place of the one true God. Be hang around with people who put Jesus first in their lives, whose eyes are on Jesus, who see the world and others through his eyes, who are becoming more like their Savior, whose security is found in Christ alone. You see, we become like what we worship. So hang out with true worshipers. Third, hang out with serious disciples. Hang out with serious disciples, those people who walk with Jesus on a day-by-day basis, who love the Bible and its truth who know how to pray, who are committed to community, who love to give themselves away. Get around people who have the spiritual life you want and then do it with them. And serious disciples will love to have you along for the ride. 
Just find somebody who, who has a walk that you desire and just ask them, can I just hang out with you? Tell me what you do. Tell me how you develop your relationship with Christ. Tell me how God continues to work in your life. Tell me how you allow him to do that. Number four, hang out with lovers of life. If someone looks like they have sucked on a dill pickle for years, don't hang out with them. I'm serious, honestly. You know, you, you're looking at me, I'm looking at all of you, and some. You know, you just kind of wonder, you say, is there any joy there at all? Hang out with people filled with some joy. Hang out with just some wacky people who just happen to believe that Jesus Christ is the answer to every question in life. Who just get a kick out of being around Jesus. Hang out with people who know how to have good, clean, healthy fun. Hang out with people who take Jesus very seriously and don't take themselves seriously at all. Hang out with people who will help you live life to its fullest. Don't hang out with boring, bitter, pruny people. You know, I get asked on a regular... If you've been around here long enough, you've seen me... I mean, well, even today. You've seen me commit so many faux pas. I've fallen physically downstairs. I've tripped over things. And I get asked all the time, well, does that bother you? Are you embarrassed that you said that? Are you embarrassed that that... No. Not so much. At least I tried. Just hang out with people who don't take themselves real seriously. Now, there are some serious things in life. I take Jesus very seriously. I take people's spiritual walks very seriously. I take the state of people's souls very seriously. But none of that's about me and none of that's about you, is it? Just go home and look in a mirror and decide whether you're a person filled with joy that anybody needs to be hanging out with. If what looks back at you, you don't like. I'm not sure what you think other people see. Back when I was leading, back years ago when I led the choir, I, I threatened them all the time that I was, and sometimes I actually did it, I threatened that I was going to show them a video of them singing. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> hang around people who are lovers of life. Number five, hang out with people who are spirit-led, spirit-driven people. Spirit-led, spirit-driven people. Hang out with people who live on the edge of expectancy of what God is going to do and what God is doing in their own lives. They live on the edge of expectancy. Hang out with people who actually like to be around other Christians, who love to go to small group, who want to be in celebrations who anticipate what God's going to give them when they get in the Word. Hang out with those who give their, away their freedom to others, who allow the Holy Spirit to operate in their lives, who long for renewal and revival to come to the church. Hang out with people who are passionate about serving the hurting and the poor. Those are Spirit-led, Spirit-driven people. Number six, hang out with honest people. Don't hang out with people who hide. Hang out with people who want accountability for their struggles and their temptations and their relapses and their idols. 
Hang out with people who you can trust and who trust you because you've each surrendered your secrets. Hang out with honest people. And last, hang out with maturing people. Maturity is a, is a good thing, isn't it? Physically, if we looked at our children and they never grew physically, they didn't mature, we would know that something is wrong. And that's true spiritually too. If you don't see growth in someone, then they're not maturing. And we need to hang out with those people who are maturing. People who are changing and repenting and growing. Not people who have it all figured out, but people who are moving forward in their walk with Christ. Now some of you may say, oh, this is, this is still kind of scary. How in the world would I even start? Where would I even look for these kind of people? Maybe you say, that's just too out there for me. I couldn't do it and I don't really know who I could trust anyway. Let me give you some real simple places to start looking. Situations to put yourself in to where you're going to be able to find people who meet this criteria and who you can live in real community with. Get in situations where you're singing together. You say, well, that's not... Is that in the Bible? Yeah. Ephesians 5.19 Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Sing to who? One another. What's that all about? Encouraging one another. You're singing together. Now, some of you might have more of an ability to encourage those that you're singing around. I understand that. But get around people who are singing, who are worshiping. And just have some fun together. And encourage one another with the words of songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Put yourself in situations where you're praying together. Where you're praying together. When, when you hear that there's a prayer meeting been called, go. Go. Matthew eighteen nineteen gives a picture of what happens when we come together to pray. I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. If two of you agree, amazing things happen in prayer together. Don't avoid prayer meetings. You know, prayer meetings are the least attended event of any church. And yet it's in prayer together that we start building relationships with one another as we seek God together. Fellowship together. Fellowship together. Now, I know over the years, fellowship has been defined as, well, let's not... We need to clearly define that fellowship is the coming together of... Men. Oh, please. Let me just talk about one aspect. Just eat together. Some of you, maybe not so much. Be careful. But eat together. Luke 24 is an interesting passage. Jesus has died and been buried and risen, and he shows up to his disciples again. And like Jesus seems to do many times in Scripture, is if eats are involved, Jesus shows up. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And look what happens. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Great things can happen in the midst of fellowship. Their eyes were opened in the midst of fellowship, Daily, ongoing fellowship. 
If this is the time when you see other Christians, the only time in the week, that's not a good thing. Eat together. Go out together. Now these days, you know, we used to go out to, you know, nicer restaurants, but with the economy, we're going to less nice restaurants. But that's okay because it's not about what, it, what the food is. It's just about being together. Have people over to your house. Invite a bunch of people. Have them all bring the food. What a concept. Let's get together in fellowship on a regular basis because we can build relationships that build real community in that context. You know, Jesus gave us a remembrance of him that is within the context of coming together in fellowship. And that's the Lord's table. Now remember that when the Lord's table was first instituted, when Jesus first started it, he didn't invite the disciples and say, hey, come over and have a little glass of grape juice and a piece of bread that looks like a tooth. Okay? That wasn't what he did. It was in the midst of a meal. It was in the midst of a Passover meal where there was a whole plethora of food. And within the context of the meal, if you look at the passage of that upper room event, it said, while they were eating, Jesus, and then it tells the story, where he took the bread and the cup and he instituted a way of remembering him. So every time we come to that meal, it's an opportunity to fellowship with one another. It's an opportunity to confess, an opportunity to be real with one another. And Christians, one day, there will be a final table in the kingdom of God called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, where God will pull all His children together and we're going to have the greatest eats ever. Fellowship is important to God. And within fellowship we can build real community. We can build real community if you put yourself into situations where you not only sing together, pray together, fellowship together, but you minister and work together. Colossians 3.17 says that whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything you do. Within the context of ministry and working together, it's a great opportunity to keep each other focused on right attitudes and reasons for service. You know, you all don't get to see what happens behind the scenes of people who lead us in worship and who are here on the platform. But within the context of that ministry, it is a group of people who are constantly striving to keep each other focused on the right attitude and reason for what we do. Because it's on a platform in front of people and it's very easy to get off track. But within the context of ministry together, within real community, we can keep each other focused. When we're ministering and working together, we learn to speak encouragement to one another. We all need a little bit of that, don't we? Real encouragement to one another. Ephesians 4, 29 says that there is talks about the kind of communication we're to have. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs. We learn to speak encouragement within the context of ministry and working together. We learn to live humbly when we're ministering together. We learn to live humbly. Romans 12.3 tells us to not think of ourselves too highly by the grace of 
given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. When we're ministering together, we're, we're, we're intense work together. Real community is built because we're learning to live humbly. And when we're working and ministering together, we learn to listen. We learn to shut up and listen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, said, He who can no longer listen to his brother will soon no longer be listening to God either. This is the beginning of the death of the Christian life. So we get in situations where you're singing together and praying together and fellowshipping and ministering together and then get in situations where you're bearing burdens together. Where you're bearing burdens together. Galatians 6.2 tells us that we're to bear one another's burdens. Bonhoeffer again in that same book says, it is only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother. It is only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother. We have a great example of this in Isaiah 53. We see a Savior who has borne our sorrows, who has carried our grief and our infirmities and all of our sin. We only become a son or daughter of God, a brother of Christ, when we allow him to bear the burden of our sin. I believe that the need for community is ultimately best fulfilled in small groups and within ministries together. Groups of people, all with a common goal and a common desire. Because I think it's in those environments where you can build relationships that have the opportunity to develop and to grow. I think it's in those environments where you'll discover that partner that God has for you. Somebody who fits you and gets you. Now maybe you say, this is all great. And now I've got some places to look for this person. But when all this starts happening, Pastor Brian, if this really steamrolls and it actually starts happening and we become real community, then what if somebody, do I have to get a professional counseling degree? Do, do I have to become an expert in theology? Do I have to have the answer to every question and every need and every hurt? Do I have to understand every situation? No, you just need to be you. Because within the context of the body, you don't have to meet every need. There are other people who have strengths that you can pull in, who have past histories that can help someone else, have the ability to encourage someone else. And within the context of a church our size, there are our support structures that will help as we build community. And New Life has many ways to help as you enter into these kind of relationships in real community. And they're listed on your insert there. You met Brett Fitzer early in the celebration today who's with Wellspring Counseling. We've partnered with Wellspring and right here at New Life there's an office that provides clinical counseling. Brett Fitzer and Mary Rose Hamperian are there. That number, by the way, let me fix it, is 538, not 537. And that can be of real benefit. There's pastoral counseling with our directors and our pastors who are more than willing and often and regularly meet with members of our body 
to encourage and help. There's marriage counseling through Bill Robbins and our marriage ministry. We have a ministry called Inner Healing Ministry that uses a method called Theophostic Prayer that helps wounded people through a process that opens the way for the Holy Spirit to replace lies and pain with truth and with peace. We have a group that's starting again up in the fall called Grief Care for those who are in the midst of grief in their life. And you don't have to go through it alone. Or maybe the person who God's kind of put you with or the group of people to walk through life, none of them have experienced grief. But this is a way that you can be supported. We have a group, again, another session starts in September called Divorce Care for those of you who are in the midst of divorce or are still dealing with the hurt from the past. We have a group called Heart, Healing the Effects of Abortion-Related Trauma for women who are dealing with that hurt in their lives. Every Friday night, there's an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting that takes place here. And right next door, a brand new group that started just three weeks ago, an Al-Anon group for family members of alcoholics. We believe that that has to be a well-rounded ministry because alcoholism and addictions are a family crisis. Every Tuesday and Thursday, there are groups for men that deal with sexual addictions. On Fridays, starting again in September, the second Friday of every month, is a time called Marriage Matters, where as couples, we just come together, spend some time learning about how to work with in our marriage and build one another up in Christ. And then there's times of discussion and, oh, fellowship, including eats. Okay? And then there's marriage mentoring, where young couples can come together with a couple who's been married a lengthier period of time and learn from one another. And this is just an ad hoc list. Within the context of a church like New Life, we can build real community, and there can be real help and real healing and real progress. I hope this is the kind of church you want to be a part of. I hope you want to be in, a, a part of an integral part in what we say when we say we want to be people who are forgiven and free and who live in real community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you want us to live this way, forgiven and free and in real community. May our great desire be to fulfill your prayer for the church that we be one, that we be unified, that we be growing. Father, work in this place, work in lives. Continue to bring us to places of confession and trust and prayer. Continue to make us real community. God, may we defy the odds and be biblical God, may we defy the odds and be a place that the world can look at and see real Christians being transformed by a real God into real followers of Christ. And as you do that, we will praise you in Christ's name. Let's stand together and pray.